Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, December 21st, 2017, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 6. We will be reading and commenting on the first and second paragraphs, beginning with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness, and ending on the top of page 7 with, I was 40 pounds underweight. Today's readers are Eve K., Anita L., Kelly S., Rita K., and Jackie B. Our newcomer greeter is Janice P.M., The reference number for yesterday's Wednesday, December 20th, 2017's 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10818. That's 10818. And the reference number for yesterday's 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10820. That's 10820. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Eve Kay to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. My name is Eve Kay. I'm a compulsive overeater from New York. What the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Wishing everybody a good day. Thank you, Eve K. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Have a nice day, everybody. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I'll be setting a timer and I'll say time if you hit the three-minute mark. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. 
to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in chapter one, Bill's story on page six. We will be reading and commenting on the first and second paragraphs beginning with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness, and ending on the top of page seven with, I was 40 pounds underweight. I will now ask Kelly S. to read that for us. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, visionaries. This is Kelly S., recovered in Oklahoma. All right, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jen would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my windows, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks, but people feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Wow. So right there um, is the progression of the disease in a crazy way. And it's just so funny because, you know, I've been around this program for 30-something years, and I've always read this story, and I, I always like history. You know, that's what that was. It was just some history to me. But I didn't really ever relate in with Bill because I was looking for a way out. But, you know, what I heard in vision was, you know, did I think like Bill thought? Did I feel like Bill felt? And I know we've been talking about this, but these paragraphs, if I really get into his thinking and feeling, this is me. I mean, this is my progression of my disease. It's crazy. I mean, if we can all remember earlier on, Bill was judging all those people who were wanting to, you know, jump out the window, and he's thinking he's so great and he's not going to do that. How many times I'm like, well, you know, I can get on a diet, I can lose weight, and I'd see somebody, you know, I've lost 125 pounds, and I've been bulimic, but I would judge everybody else that was worse than me, you know, because I'm not that bad, you know, but unfortunately, my disease doesn't really care. It, you know, wants me dead or it wants me suffering, and I can so relate to Bill's, you know, horror and hopelessness. And when he talks about, um, you know, it's, it's finally in this paragraph that he, to me, I see that he is finally realizing where it says, you know, the, the market had gone to hell, but um, it might recover. But, you know, you know, he wasn't going to. He, you know, finally getting to that place where you know, where I knew 
that, you know, I was hopeless. That's what I thought. I didn't know I was seemingly hopeless. I figured I was hopeless, you know, and I wasn't going to get better, you know. And then it talks about, you know, he, he drinks. That, that sense of ease and comfort is writhing nerves were still. And people were sharing that yesterday, you know, just getting that ease and comfort from even just being in line to buy something, knowing finally I'm going to get my fix, you know. That's how it felt. I was getting ready to, you know, to get my, you know, my vein, get it in my veins. I just like, I remember just like, ah, you know, it's kind of like, and Pink Floyd comfortably numb. Oh, oh my God, you know, that I'm going to get my drug, you know, and, and it would make it, things okay until the next time when I had to eat again, you know. And I was, I remember when it says here, you know, um, should I kill myself? No, not now. And, and I just think of that place that it talks about in the big book, that jumping off place, you know. I was afraid to die and I was afraid to live. It was a horrible place, but it brought me to my knees and I'm so grateful for that. You know, and I just, this progression of this disease is so crazy. And I'm just so grateful that I finally related in and realized that, you know, I remember, you know, he talks about um, in the, the second paragraph, you know, I went into a program, a 12-step program uh, treatment center, and I couldn't wait to get out and eat. So there's no perfect fix. What it is, is it's this book. You know, it's not the tools, it's not a treatment center, it's not the perfect sponsor. It's getting into this book, working these steps, a spiritual solution. You know, and if not, I'm going to be the person that's finally going to leap. I know that. My disease has no bottom. I have no top weight, and I have no bottom with my um, hopelessness. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. Thank you, Kelly. Yes. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Matt M. B. Madam. Tina S. I, okay, hold Lisa on. Lisa B. Second. Wait Quincy one second. G. Just one second. I heard Matt M. And who was after Matt M? Jackie B. Oh, Jackie. Roanne M. Tina S. Chrissy G. Tina S. Lisa B. Lisa Nicole B. T. Nicole T. Okay, I'm sorry. I know I missed a whole bunch of people at the beginning because I was stuck on the second person, Jackie B. So who I have is Matt M., Jackie B., Tina S., Lisa B., and Nicole T. Let's just go with you five for now, and then we'll open the floor again. Matt M., go right ahead. Thank you, Rebecca. This is morning, everyone. This is Matt M., Composable Leader. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle is not there. It's the aftermath of his spree. Um, he's really blank. He's really remorseful. He sees, oh, my God, what did I do to myself? He's starting to see his drinking is getting worse and worse. He needs a, he needs a liquor to survive, him, so he doesn't get the DTs. He needs a dozen glasses of ale, so his writhing nerves are still at last. He's the defunction. So now he has no choice but to drink. And then it says, should I kill myself? No, not now. As someone said before, um, he was a page or two ago, he was talking about um, making fun of the people who were jumping from the wall to the high side of the, the walls of high fire and saying, like, how, how could they, you know? I'm never going to kill myself. What's wrong with them? And look at he's considering himself. The mental obsession and it takes over when he wants to have genuine fix that which is bottled in oblivion. So mental obsession is taking over again. And his body is enduring it for another two years. His body is starting to break down finally. You only do that to your body for so long before it starts to start to get out of you. You know, it's really, it's really, uh, the way he treats himself is really poorly. And down there he talks about the geographic solution, flights from city to country, 
and back as, as my wife and I saw to escape. You can never really get rid of yourself. Everywhere you go, there you are. So you can't run away from yourself. You could try, but it doesn't work. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. And th- then he starts to drink the sedative with the, take the sedative with the drink. So he's really, really, really suicidal. He's, he's really thinking about um, killing himself because who would take medication like that with alcohol? It's dangerous. So he's really thinking about his sanity. He's like, am I crazy? And, you know, he's, he's getting there. His mind, his mind is starting to go as well. Insane behavior with that say it definitely is insane and with that all the past. Thanks, Matt M. Jackie B. Hi, I'm Jackie B from the Bronx. Can I be heard? I hear you, Jackie B. Okay, thank you. Thank you everyone for your service and your presence. Um I am in awe. Uh I've been in program a lot of years, recovered uh, over uh, 16 months now, um, and it's amazing how this book just leaps out at me. Um, you know, I remember years ago, I couldn't read this book because I I kept saying, oh, God, these men, these, these self-centered men, these alcoholics, look at the ravages they do. And just to now know that I'm just as equal in with my food addiction as they are with their alcohol. Um, I, too, um, wanted to die. I remember taking the train every morning and wondering when I'm going to jump on those tracks. And still, while I'm still eating, um, and then saying to myself, um, but what if the miracle's tomorrow? What if the miracle's tomorrow? And so it took a lot of years for the miracle to be tomorrow, but it did come because I finally was willing to say, I don't have the answers. I don't control the world. I am not God. I need a power greater than myself. Um, And I need to stop ingesting those ingredients that triggered the obsession mentally, physically, and behaviorally. Um, It's amazing to me today. Um, Today was the first day I had to take the train. And it may be silly to everybody else, but everybody I know will get this. I got in there, and there was one little seat, you know, in a thing, and I went to sit down. And I said, can I just sit on the edge? And when I sat down, I fit. And I actually said out loud, I fit. And they're looking at me like, what? I giggled. And then two seconds later, I almost cried in the train because you don't understand. I'd never fit before. I fit today. Um, and I was amazed and grateful. And there was somebody sitting next to me eating a whole bag of Doritos. And I said, God, you have a sense of humor. Thank you. Um, and you know what? I was okay because I knew who Jackie was today. I know working the steps, being part of this fellowship, saying the truth, all my truths, makes me a compulsive overeater in recovery. Recovered today and thank you and I will pass. Have a lovely day. Thanks, Jackie B. Tina S. Thanks, Rebecca. Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great shares. Thanks so much. 
you know, I know that I'm really in the right place. And I love, you know, I love that I can uh, be right where I was when I read this. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. And that's my story. You know, when we read this this morning, I was back 30 years. Um, you know, two different occasions for me. One was when I was 40 pounds overweight and I couldn't go on, didn't want to live. And another was when I was 40 pounds underweight because my solution was just don't eat. And then I couldn't think. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happened for me too, you know, is, you know, I didn't really, I didn't think about wanting to kill myself, but I didn't want to live, you know. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, go on one more day just like this. And But it says the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. You know, my, my two different scenarios are, are 10 years in between. You know, I first came to Overdue's Anonymous in 1987, and the last time I picked up a white chip was in 1999. And, um, you know, because I thought, well, I got this diet deal, so let's let's go. And that's what was my uh, experience in 1987. Then I was uh, 91 pounds, you know. And so um, on my own, and I said this yesterday, on my own, I'm screwed. But if I come here, you know, and I start doing the deal and listen to the people that have what I want because they do uh, the deal in the book, then I'll be able to get that thing, you know? And I also was like, you know, maybe I'm just crazy. So I, I took the trips to the sanitariums. And then, you know, when I was in there, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not just so crazy. You know, maybe I don't need to be here. Maybe there is a solution. And there is. And, you know, and, it, and we talk about this daily, one day at a time. I put down the food. You know, I pick up the book. I get some direction. I follow some direction. And then 1 through 12, there's a transformation that happens in me that one day at a time. I don't have to eat like I used to eat and I don't have to not eat like I used to not eat and I don't and I can live today and God has a plan beyond my wildest dreams and I, and I I want more with that I'll pass thanks Thanks Tina S Lisa B Good morning this is Lisa B I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville South Carolina thank you for your service so the line that jumps out for me is, uh, for mine endured this agony for two more years. So endured, you know, I endured mediocrity. I endured settling for less than a full and happy life. What happened for me is I went to treatment, I learned about abstinence, and I thought it was all about just being abstinent. And for whatever reason, my illness went underground, it burrowed, and it kind of changed the way it showed itself. And it came out in living um, with high amount of character defects and unmanageability and enormous unhappiness inside of me. And I thought that everything outside of me was the problem. And I lived like that for years. I did not believe it was possible to truly get recovered, you know. And um, when he talks about fearing for my insanity, so did I. In... Um, our 10-step promises, it tells us that the problem has been removed. I needed to come into a group where I could hear what the problem is, what the solution is. I mean, that sounds so clear and simple, but I went years and years being an addict of compulsive overeating and not knowing what the problem is and what the solution is. And how it works, it tells us that the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. It's not about just putting the substance down. I need to have a psychic change, a spiritual awakening, and that happens through the steps. And you know what my disease is, it, it settled, it helped me see that 
oh, this is just as good as it's going to get. Occasionally, I'll binge again, then I won't binge again. But I'm going to be really unhappy, and I'm going to be dead inside. And I endured like that for years and years and years. Today, I refuse to give any more time to this illness. You know, the opposite of endured is escape. We escape with these steps. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Nicole T. Good morning, everyone. This is Nicole from Georgia. When I read this, it made me smile, but it also brought some tears, tears of joy and of reality. When I was reading, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. I remember those times, waking up and binging and crying and thinking and why and I would wonder what what was the cause of this and it wasn't until coming to program where I realized I realized in step one what I was I realized what I had I have an allergy to body and obsession of the mind I'm a compulsive reader but it wasn't until steps three and on up that I discovered who I am and who I can be I don't have to live my life in bags and boxes stuffing my face I can live life, I can accept the challenges life brings, and I can feel my feelings, but I don't have to sit in them. Because for me, I don't know about everyone else, when I sit in my feelings, that's the danger zone because I start getting into the pity party situation. So I love that I have my higher power who keeps me grounded. Cursing myself for a weakling, just that line alone I highlighted, um, one of the best things I did while in program was making an amends to myself. I no longer treat myself in a horrible way. I treat myself with respect and love because that's what my higher power does for me. And recently, although I have had, after seven months of breaking my abstinence, what I love is that I can be honest about it. And it's not repeated behavior because it's a sobering thought to say, Yes, Nicole, I'm a compulsive reader, but no, I don't have to live this way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nicole T. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Larry. TM. Larry. Lauren. Lauren and Harlan. Melissa R. Lazy. Melissa. Leia and Leia. Mm-hmm. Leia M. Z. Leia M. Yeah, two Leias. Okay, why don't we go with those of you whose name I got this time. So, um, and I didn't bother with the last initials, and I may not remember them all, so I'm just going to say it, and you can say your last initial. Larry, Janice, Lauren, Harlan, Melissa, Leia C, and Leia M. Larry, go right ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. You know, it just it, it occurs to me, you know, when you read you read about this and, and Bill's, you know, he's fallen into the, the hell of this disease and and I remember what that was like too. You know, what if this is all fiction? This this not not Bill's story, of course. That's not fiction. What if this what if this program of recovery is a big see, I didn't want to be a sucker. You know what I mean? 
you come into this program and you, you come in with hope and you hear and you do see some people that recover. See, I think of the, the courage that Bill and some of these other pioneers, particularly Bill and Dr. Bob, that they had to have. They had to have tremendous courage and hope and perseverance to think that there could be a solution, a way out. We come, in, we come into these rooms with hope, but what, what, what if this is fiction? What, what, what if this is one big grand illusion? See, I know it's not because it happened to me. I know I'm not the only one. I know there's, there's others on the line. I don't suspect that everyone on the line has experienced a complete transformation as the result of these steps. I, I know that's probably not true. But I know what happened to me. And I, I, I see it. I, I hear it in your voices. When I meet you, I see it in your eyes. I see it in your demeanor. I see the way you treat people. I see you coming here day after day after day. Why? What, what, what are you doing here? What, what, why, why do you have to be here? You're, you're recovered. The problem has been removed. It doesn't exist for you anymore. See, there's something unique about this thing. There was something unique about this thing for Bill. There's something instilled in his heart to continue to carry this message and to pass it on to the next uh, struggling, suffering person. That's why I'm here. I didn't come to OA to become, you, you know, that wasn't my goal in life to become popular in OA. I mean, I mean really? Really? Is that what you think? No, I come here because I, I have to carry this message to stay on the beam of recovery, and I do it just with gratitude because I know who did this for me. God did this for me. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Janice. Well, good morning to you, and good morning to everyone. Yes, my name is Janice P.M. Um, if you would please um, time me, Rebecca, I just goofed. Okay, boy, yep. can I identify with this. I, I cannot identify with the real suicide. However, my suicide was planned every day when I used to come home from managing a daycare center. I would go to my bar room, which was uh, the corner store, get my fix so that I could plan this this binge because that would fix how I was feeling for life because I had a transfer from my managing my life in the daycare center to coming home to responsibilities. Didn't like that. Couldn't face that. I had a son and a husband. My life was unmanageable. I, I didn't like it. I you know, so I would plan this binge so that I would go into oblivion. And I did. And I knew exactly the foods that would do that for me. And um, I would eat it because I couldn't t face this responsibility. Now I had to be a mother. Now I had to be a wife. I can remember times, you know, when I would uh, plan. I would be passed out. I mean, really passed out for about three or four hours. And my husband would come home and, um, you know, no dinner. And he would actually say to my son, oh, let her sleep. You know, she has to rest because he'd be so afraid of how I would wake up. I mean, that's a terrible, that's suicide. That's real suicide. I remember those horrible days, the frustrations that I had. Now, after working all day, I was entitled. 
See, I I really thought that I was entitled to do this. I had no idea I had a, an illness. I was entitled because look at what I did today. I mean, I had all these children and 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 workers and you know the state and this and that. So I was entitled. So that was my reward. Imagine that was my reward. And uh, it brought me into all kinds of behaviors and um, almost divorce, et cetera, et cetera. But it talked about the escape. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't escape into another city. I escaped into oblivion. And that's what that's what I would do. Um, it gave me, you know, I gave myself permission to do this stuff. Imagine completely escaping and I would because that would be my fix those particular um, uh, substances would be my fix that was my solution it would be my fix (laughs) and I would use it all the time and I couldn't see it until of course if you're one like me you're a very unhappy person and with that I'm going to pass thanks that was three minutes Janice right on the button (laughs) Thanks so much. Before I say who our next person is, well, I'll tell you it's Lauren. I just want to let those of you who have gotten on the line since we read know that we read paragraphs one and two on chapter six, beginning with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. Go right ahead, Lauren, and your initial. Thank you very much, visionaries. This is Lauren N. from New York. Recovered compulsive overeater sugar addict one day at a time. I remember those years of wanting to commit suicide all the time. Started when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And I constantly would think, gee, if they don't, if I have a car accident, they won't know that I was really trying to kill myself. They won't be mad at me for dying, right? Most of my car accidents, I had a bunch of them, were while I was eating. I never fit into any seat while I was eating. Never paying attention always thinking about myself. Thank God today I'm no longer there. I really get to live my life one day at a time, happy, joyous, and free from this illness, the illness of hatred of myself of not believing that I had anything to offer to anyone. Why would anyone want to talk to me? I had nothing to offer. But now I get that I am a good member or good, a happy, glad member of this group. And as someone said, I never wanted to be popular in this group. I didn't want to be popular in any group, but I am 
very glad that people know my name today in this group. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren N. Harlan G. Thank you very much. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive old reader in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, I want to thank Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. This disease is a constant state of defeat. It is a constant state for me of looking at the world and wondering why and how. Why are these people so easily thin? Why are they so easily members of families? And why are they so easily happy and laughing and I'm not? How do they eat three French fries and pass the rest of the fries around and say, who wants some of these? Bill Wilson is defeated on page six. He is defeated by this illness. He has thrown everything at him. He is a person who has accomplished tremendous things in his life. He passed the Edison test with with Thomas Edison, but he didn't choose to study with him because he knew he would never be the top man. He has done amazing, amazing things on Wall Street. He is married. He has come out of World War I. He has accomplished many things in his life, but there's something he cannot do. He cannot control the amount of liquor he drinks once he has started, and he cannot stay stopped now that he wants to stop. And the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are upon him and are unforgettable. And he is now wanting to kill himself, begging for death, as I did too. On page four, he's looking down his nose at the people that are killing themselves, and now he's considering it. Let's take a look at what he's doing here. A mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion, not two glasses, not two drinks, not two cocktails, two bottles and oblivion. Sorry, I hit the I hit the the wrong button there. Two bottles and oblivion, and he is swaying dizzily before them before. Excuse me, an open window. He is defeated. He is down. But let's see tomorrow where we go from here. We're looking at step one, the powerless condition of his mind and the powerless condition of his body. He is absolutely defeated by this illness. But let's see what happens tomorrow morning, same bad time, same bad channel, when God's hand starts to move in with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Harlan G. Melissa, your turn. Hi, it's Melissa C. C. Melissa, hi, thank you, Rebecca. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, so, like, to lose the courage to do battle. 
you know, like to be at that point when there is no fight left. He's like, really, he's pressed against the wall at this point. And, you know, I always thought um, what I needed was more grit, more strength to do battle. And, um, And so I went on for years like that. And then I reached a point where I had no ability to fight this. And the only thing I could do was look to be in oblivion, look to be completely almost comatose, you know. And so because the pain of being a compulsive overeater was only eased at this point by more compulsive overeating, you know, and the amount it took me just to get to zero, you know, was unbelievable. I had to eat round the clock. Um, and, and yet, who would have thought that I was actually closer at that point to being recovered than when I was still thinking I could do battle, you know, and so I didn't, I didn't say I wanted to die, but boy, my actions were, were certainly saying it, you know, I would lay in bed at night and I could feel my heart, my blood pressure was so high, I could feel it pounding in my ears, and I would lay in bed crying, um, because I was so scared that I was going to leave my children motherless. And I was afraid that in the morning, I, I was scared that I was going to die overnight. So I, I really didn't sleep very well. Um, and and I had horrible heartburn, so I really couldn't sleep very well. And I had sleep apnea, you know, so I would snore myself awake. But I was afraid that I would die overnight and that my husband would find me dead in the morning or my kids. And that terrified me. And yet at that point, there's two choices, you know, um, look for a spiritual solution, which I had no clue what that was, or slip into oblivion. And so I would open my eyes in the morning and shove more food down my throat. And yet, like Bill, who we're going to find, I was closer to recovering at that point than when I was still thinking I could do battle. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Leah, I guess I had said C, but I was probably hearing Melissa's C. It's yes, Leah it's, it's, D. It's Leah. D is in David. Good morning. Good morning, Hi, Leah. Hi, good morning. Oh, my name is Leah D. Oh, Bill. I never related to Bill. He was an alcoholic. Eh, what, is, what does he know? I mean, he's just not me. He's not me. He's not me. Well, that's a lie. I am Bill, Bill is me, and my suicide was constant. As I was listening today, I thought about what it was like to walk into a room of a big party and look around and say, am I the fattest one here? No, no, maybe she's a little fatter. No, maybe not her, and then, oh my God, I am the fattest one here. That's suicide. Being 13 years old or 14 years old in a gym class, everybody's wearing these white, cute gym outfits, and you're wearing these bloomers that they had to order for you in a different size and and, and walk out and have to jump on a horse. That's suicide. 
being with teenagers, going to a party, and everybody's playing kissing games, and nobody wants to be with you, that's suicide. Getting into an airplane, thinking you're getting a good seat in the front with leg room, and finding out there are two pieces of metal on the seat, and not being able to get into the seat, and having to sit like that for 12 hours to go to the state of Israel, that's suicide. I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. That person had to die. And 12 Steps, Vision for You, and my sisters and brothers brought me back to life. I really don't want to live like that anymore. I'm not living like that anymore. I'm in a different dimension. I'm there. I am there. I'm not going back. I'm going forward. I'm going to learn more and more and more and more. And I bless Bill every day. And I bless this meeting every day because I have a chance to live today. I am living today. Today's a good day. Thank you very much. And with that, I'll pass. Great job, everybody. Thanks, Leah D. Leah M. Thank you very much. You know, this is like a uh, written 12-step call. You know, we, we when we talk to newcomers, we tell our story, you know, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. And this is written in hindsight, and it is certainly a vivid and detailed account of Bill's descent into the madness of alcoholism, and I relate to its progression. I'm also grateful that he's writing it. Um, He's transmitting experience from a recovered state of mind. He has written this story for me um, because he no longer lives this way when he wrote this story. You know, I relate to its progression. I was young. Um, I got to this point at the age of 23. That's young. This disease had grabbed me uh, at a very young age. And, you know, when it says, sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse, you know, uh, et cetera, uh, people feared for my sanity, I ended up being everything I never wanted to be. Um, <laughs> you know, the mental torture, the emotional turmoil, the isolation, the deep depression, the suicidal thinking, check, 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 check. This disease wore me out. And you know what? It wears everybody out around you as well. It wore my newly uh, new marriage out. It wore, uh, you know, my parents out. It wore therapists out. It wore friends out. It, it beat us all up. Um, and I continued to seek oblivion, but the problem is that with that is next morning I woke up, <laughs> you know, and so it was all over again. I mean, you know, I I relate to this. What I want to say today is that if you're new or you're not so new, I tell you that this story is my experience and that there is hope here. When you're through compulsive overeating and when you're convinced there is a way out, there is a way to live without having to compulsively overeat. And when I say that, I say that not from a righteous uh, hilltop because my story is not a story of my personal success. This is a story of God's grace and his saving me and rescuing me and, you know, relieving me of this uh, horrific illness. Against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct, just like 
Bill, just like Bill, but I no longer live this way because as a result of getting a copy of this book that we study every morning and under the guidance of a man who knew what he was talking about through experience, and by performing the requirements outlined in this book as thoroughly as I possibly could, I'm grateful to tell you from the depths of my heart that I no longer live this way, and that is nothing less than a miracle. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. We have time for two more shares, I think. Who else would like a turn? Barbara E. Barbara E. Sandy S. Was it Sandy or Mandy? Roanne M., if there's time. It was Sandy. Was it Sandy? Okay, we'll see, Roanne. Go ahead, Barbara E. Thank you so much for allowing me this time to share. I will be brief. Um, I can so relate in now with Bill. I couldn't years ago, but I can. I think back to gym class where we had to climb a rope. I could not get off the knot at the bottom. Picking teams uh, in gym, I was always the last one to be picked because I waddled. I couldn't run. The horror of walking down the aisle in an airplane and thinking, oh my God, I hope she's not sitting next to me. The chair that collapsed when I went to a lawn party and I needed two strong gentlemen to pry the arms away from the chair so I could get up. The neurologist that told me I might have a brain tumor due to my obesity and the medicine that I was taking. But what did I do on the way back from the neurologist? I went through the reservation in New Jersey with candy that I bought and I was crying and stuffing my face the knees that wouldn't support me as I walked around the supermarket. Yes, I'm a compulsive overeater. I admit defeat, but I'm not hopeless today. And if there's anyone out there struggling, give in. This works. I'm here to tell you after two decades of sobriety that I never, ever thought I could achieve it works. I love you all. You're all my sisters and brothers from another mother. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Sandy, and your first yeah, initial hi. again. Sandy S. from Asheville. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine that endured this agony. I'd say it was much more than two more years for me. It was more or less uh, 10 years of uh, bulimia, of uh, extreme, of extremes, because there was no fat anymore. You know, there was only eating and throwing up to to still my writhing nerves. Um, I think what's amazing is that I really never, ever thought I'd ever feel as good as I feel at this moment. And when I wake up in the morning, I don't experience remorse, horror, and hopelessness. I actually experience, oh, great. You know, life is precious. 
I'm old, 70. I don't have, you know, time to waste on negativity and self-absorption. I really, really, really want the peace of God, not the food, not the fear, the peace of God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sandy S. Rowan, you do get a turn. Go right ahead. Hi, my name is Rowan M., and I'm calling from New York. I'm very grateful to be on the line. All I just wanted to share is, like, the lines are remorseful and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. That line always gets me every time I read it because I just feel that pain. I feel goosebumps when I hear that every time I would just wake up the night after a binge, the night after that abuse, the night after hurting myself, and just wondering how I could have done that to myself again, wondering how I just was capable of doing that after so many times promising myself that I would never do it again. And the courage to do battle was not there. Like, that I just did not have energy to fight. The willpower had left me. I just was not capable. I, I just, it, like, everything had been beaten out of me from this illness. And then, I, and then the brain, my brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. It was almost like when I would wake up in the morning, I would be having these panic attacks, like, is this really my reality right now? Like I would be having, like my heart would start racing and I would just be like, I have to escape these emotions immediately. Like I couldn't handle the pain. And so when he says, you know, he crossed the street and he found a place to supply him with glasses of ale, like I needed to find food immediately to like numb myself because I was in a state of panic because of the amount of pain that I was beginning to feel because of what I had done to myself yet again. It was so intense. The, the horror and the fact like me wanting to die in that moment, I couldn't handle it. I would wake up shaking and I just wouldn't know what to do with myself. So do I, I completely relate to this and him running to a bar to numb himself out yet again. I relate to that. And him, should I kill myself? No, not now. You know, I thought about it so many times. I could never do it because, you know, God for whatever reason, he gave me a sliver of hope. I always had a sliver of hope that someday I would get better. I would always pray that I would someday get better because there were just little pockets of good in my life through all of the negative. There were little pockets. And when he said Jane would fix that, it got to a point where the food would not, I realized the food was not fixing anything. And that's when I got the gift of desperation. When the food was not having the Mm -hmm. effect on me that it used to. And with that, I will pass. And thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Rowan M. Rowan was our last 
person to share. Thank you everyone for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The reference number for this meeting, Thursday, December 21st, 2017. That's um, the shortest day of this year. 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 10823. That's 10823. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. We'll read a K. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Yes, this is Rita Kay from Kansas, um, Recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who, still, who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.